0: Welcome to Call Your Girlfriend, a podcast for long-distance besties everywhere. I'm Aminatou Sow. And I'm Ann Friedman. On this week's agenda, the politics of The Bachelorette, why Megyn Kelly is the worst, a Wonder Woman breakdown, a story about when Ivanka met Cecile Richards, and lots of stories about when powerful men don't get convicted for their crimes, including slimeball Mitch McConnell and Senate Republicans who want to gut health care without even debating it.
1: Hey, Hey, girl.
0: How you doing?
1: Uh, man, so much is going on. Very exciting CYG announcements. One, there are still tickets to the Philly show. So if you want to
0: come, you still have a chance to. A couple, a couple lucky and people.
1: <laughs> I know. Did you know that our Brooklyn show is sold out?
0: What? I mean, I did know that, but what?
1: <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know. It was news to me. But apparently, the people want to come so bad, we have added a second show on July 15th, after the first show. CYG after dark. Exactly. So all you have to do is head to callyourgirlfriend.com slash events. Uh, Tickets are on sale there. Bring a friend. Tell all your homies. The show will definitely be different from the first show, but... A good time will be had by all, no matter what show you go to.
0: Yeah. So, I mean, if you really are wanting to devote your entire night to us and have no other drinking or socializing plans, they will be two different shows. But you do you. They'll both be great in their own way. I'm confident in our abilities. We haven't done one of these live shows in a while. So I think we'll be, you know, top form. I'm hoping. <laughs> I, I'm glad
1: that you're confident. I'm very nervous, but I think it'll all work out.
0: You know why I'm excited? We only have to pick one outfit because it's two shows on the same night.
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. I can't wait to frog and toad it with you. It's oh, my be God. Fun.
0: Best part of doing live shows. 100%. It's almost like we're best friends. It's almost like we both like to wear silk blend sack dresses all the time. <laughs> <laughs> so
1: crazy. What else have you been up to?
0: Uh, I have been on a 12-day reporting slash road trip with friend of the podcast, Laura Shipley. Ow! I know. Wait, where are you reporting from? um, A couple of very interesting, smallish towns in eastern Iowa and western Illinois. Real America? America. Reporting from (laughs) America. (laughs) Let me tell you though, okay, so aside from this is totally tangential to the actual like project we're working on, but I fulfilled a lifelong dream and I stayed at this place called the Don Q Inn in Spring Green, Wisconsin, which... Was a place that, like, was by the side of the highway that my family would sometimes drive by when I was a kid. And they advertise on the sign Fanta Suites, (laughs) which basically (laughs) means, like, themed rooms that, like, are so much more bonkers than, like, the Madonna Inn or, like, other kind of kitschy places that I have been to. For example... This hotel room featured a hot air balloon replica with like the bed in the basket of the hot air balloon and a like a jacuzzi tub that was like designed to look like a fake mountain stream. It was like Disneyland in a single hotel room.
1: It's like I can't tell if like what you're saying makes me sound more stone than I actually am right now or if that's like insane.
0: It is insane. And there's like a lunar landing room where you can sleep like under <laughs> I mean, I'm not even kidding. There's like there's like a like a northern lights room where it's like a, like it looks like ice blocks everywhere. This is absolutely bonkers. My number one regret about this trip is that the woman working the desk seemed was like very friendly and was like chatting to me about the most popular rooms. Heads up, the most popular one is some kind of like Greek court. I don't even know. Or like Roman, Greco Roman thing. I love a
1: toga party.
0: It's a sex thing for sure. But anyway, she was like, yeah, come back tomorrow and I'll give you a tour. And then I just like, I had other things to do and I didn't make it back. But anyway, if you find yourself in rural southwest Wisconsin, I could not recommend the Don Q Inn more. It is bonkers. Do it.
1: (laughs) Oh, my God. That's amazing. What have you been up to? Girl, what have I not been up to? Well, Right now I'm trying to get this babka off of my shirt because <laughs>
0: I've, been, I've like eaten
1: like a half a loaf of babka and it's amazing.
0: You are the babka duke.
1: <laughs> I'm really glad you got to make that joke. Thank uh, you. I was, telling, <laughs> I was telling you earlier how I still don't know what uh, a Duke is, but I'm really familiar with all the babaduke memes and I've seen so many of them at like various pride events. So as far as like I'm concerned, Duke is a gay icon. I'm just like, this is this is amazing.
0: I mean, the internet agrees with you.
1: I know, but I'm just like, I still don't know what it is. Yeah, I'm still like not clear on what the Babadook is, but I'll get to like Wikipedia-ing at one of these days.
0: So basically you have a stack of like things to Wikipedia the way that most average humans have a stack of books by their bedside. You just have both.
1: <laughs> it's true, except that my Wikipedia list is like very, it's like, I like, I don't believe in being shamed by your interest, but it's like, pretty ridiculous.
0: Wait, so what have you been actually up to?
1: (laughs) Oh, I went to this conference called 99U that's put on by Adobe. Full disclosure, I was definitely paid to go, you know, because I'm an influencer now, but I'm going to give it to you. You're my
0: favorite influencer because you give it to me straight.
1: (laughs) 99U is this conference that's put on by Adobe, which are the great people from some of the great software that you use. And it's like a (laughs) conference that's all about Listen, now that I know how to use Photoshop, I'm like so happy. Uh, Sorry, keep going. To our listeners, Anne is the like de facto designer in this family.
0: Which is why all of our stuff looks not professional when I make it. Yeah.
1: So I've been taking a class and all I know how to do right now is gifts in Photoshop. But I'm coming for your design crown, Anne. Don't you even worry about it. Oh
0: my God, I will happily give you my design crown anytime I will step aside. (laughs) Step aside from my Microsoft Paint crown and give it to (laughs) you.
1: (laughs) Anyway, so I don't know. This conference was really fun. It's all about like people who work in creative spaces. And there were like a bunch of people that I really, that I had never seen speak, but I really wanted to see speak. A couple of sessions that I like went to that I really loved, like Farai Chidea, who wrote this book called The Episodic Career really spoke about like creativity as medicine, thinking about your work in the same way that people who do like deep kind of care think about their work. It's like people need clean water. Is that creative work to like care about that if people like need doctors? And really think about the challenges around you. The other person that I saw speak that I was, like, really blown away by was Debbie Melman. Do you listen to the Design Matters podcast? I do not. Tell me. So, first of all, Debbie Melman has the, like, best voice in all of podcasting, which is why I think I, like, always listen to that. Because, like, I don't know anything about design. But, like, she always sounded good. She, like, you know, you know, like, when you're, like, oh, this person seems like they have their whole life together. And, uh... Like, I'm just going to fangirl about them, but I don't really, really
0: know what they're about. Oh, my God. The whole internet is built on that feeling.
1: Exactly. The entire internet is built on that. You're like, oh, my God. You like Beyonce? I like Beyonce. We're friends now. We're the same. (laughs) (laughs) We're the same. False. We are not the same. But so anyway, Debbie Millman is like totally a boss lady. She's like a designer, an artist, an educator. She hosts this podcast, Design Matters, and she also teaches. She talked about like how she was like some sort of like Russian lit major in college, which, you know, just means that you got like a major in learning how to read a lot. (laughs) And um, really late in life, like in her 30s, she fell into a branding career. She was like not a designer by training or by trade. And then this is what she does now. Okay. She talked about like,
0: can I pause you for one second? Russian Mm -hmm. lit to branding doesn't seem like fell into seems like a generally like very reasonable market push. Like no one is like desperate for your analysis of Russian literature. People do want shit branded. Like it makes total sense. I know. But you know how like (laughs) when you're in a liberal arts, like when you
1: get a liberal arts degree, like I think this is maybe different for you because you like knew you wanted to be a journalist. I know. I'm weird that way. When you're like in the liberal arts like school, you like think that your whole life is going to be real reading. And then she talks about like all of the challenges of starting her own podcast, which like charmed me endlessly. She talks about being really embarrassed that she can't listen to the earliest episodes of her
0: podcast. (laughs) Oh, so so basically she is us. (laughs) (laughs) Because she is
1: us because the audio is so bad. And I was like, what are you talking about, Debbie Millman? Your podcast is bomb. i have (laughs) like, never. (laughs) You know, like, I don't remember in time that it was not good. But she was like clearly very affected by this. Her whole message was really about how it takes time to do the things that you care about, which seems like very like, duh, aficionado magazine. But, you know, I think that, like, with our fast-paced internet culture, like, nobody actually believes that. And because we're so obsessed with, like, wunderkinds and 30 under 30 lists and 5 under 5 tykes or whatever, and everybody's always lying about their, like, public work, you, like, forget that, like, anything worthwhile, like, really takes a lot of time to do. And so, I don't know. I was really encouraged to hear, like, somebody's career who I admire a lot and to see all of the different weirdo zigzags that she's made. And I think that it also, it tracks really well with kind of where we're at right now. There's no real trajectory to work unless you're literally in a field where, you know, like your degree is the job that you're going to do, which increasingly for a lot of people, that's not what happens. And
0: even if it is though, the idea of like, that you're not going to have to reinvent yourself several times is just a lie. Like, and I think most people understand that point. Like, oh, this degree doesn't exactly match like a job description. Or even if it does, I don't get to just like, do this job for 60 years and then retire. Um, but I think that the reality of like, oh, how does that actually work? And how do you figure out how to make those changes is way, way more opaque.
1: Right. And then also like, how do you learn from all of the different things that you're in so that like when the economy crashes or like market forces push you into something else that you like, you're nimble enough that you're open to learning, you know? And I think that Um, It was really interesting to hear about, like, her career trajectory and thinking about just, like, how uncertain, like, so many things are right now in our worlds. And I was like, oh, actually, none of this is new. Like, here is this person that is older than me who has had to do this. And she, like, does it quite well. And she's, like, also amazing. I love that. Yeah, it was really cool. One of the fun sessions I got to go to was uh, at Refinery29, where the creative director, Piera Girardi, talked about creating the conditions for creativity and, like, on its head, it sounds very much like, really, I'm going to go to this place for two hours and I'm, it's going to create conditions for creativity for me. And my idea journal is popping right now. It's
0: crazy. <laughs> wait, <laughs> is there, like, wait, I, I don't understand, like, in like for, like, two hours of creativity? Or, like, oh, I'm going to be... Yeah, a- so it's, like, okay. it was, like, one of these, like, you know, like, we
1: got there and then she, like, told us kind of the, the story of Refinery29 and how it's scaled and how it's grown. But also the real talk of, like... She is somebody who is hyper creative, but she also runs a business and being able to relinquish the business side of your business to the business people, but keeping the creative vision still at the core, instead of having tension between those two parts of your building, making sure that they're actually integrated. And the first thing that she had us do when we showed up there was stretch together. And I was like, God, this seems like dorky. And then literally 10 seconds into the stretch, I was like, I am the most relaxed I have ever been the The most like enduring thing about all of this is that there are conferences that are like good for you <laughs> that
0: you can like actually go to for work we spent our two our little break well you know
1: <laughs> we really did yeah but i i really wish we were in a hotel room in la recording this podcast again
0: <laughs> i wish we were in like some sort of rented house with a pool like somewhere i mean like we could do this all day but yes i hear what you're saying i hear what you're saying
1: What are you reading right now?
0: What am I reading right now? I mean, I'm reading a lot of books based around this project, actually. Like, I've been going to these, like, small-town bookstores and historical societies and places and, like, getting the stuff that is there and reading that. So, like, I'm not – it's it's a weird thing because I feel like a lot of the work I do is about – recommending things to read. And when I'm like researching for something, I'm like, it's actually not that interesting to recommend everything I'm reading this week. Speaking of people who get paid to read. One of the things that I'm really enjoying, though, is an essay collection called Lewis and Clark Through Indian Eyes, which is essentially like, oh, what if you take the history of the Mississippi River and West, West from there, and like Talk to people who were there before white people settled it and white people encroached what? on it. I know. And it really, I mean, it's one of those things where you kind of know the contours of facts, but really get your mind blown by the specifics. Like, that's what that book is doing for me. So that's like a tell thing. Me one, tell me one thing that's blowing your mind from the book. Honestly, though, like, it's 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 not like it's like there is a specific, like, singular fact. Like, it's one of those essay collections that is all in the synthesis in the same way that you would be like, Maggie Nelson's The Argonauts didn't blow my mind, like, about the fact that childbirth is crazy, but it's like the way she <laughs> says it is really, like, changing some perceptions I have. And, like, and, you know, and I would say it's similar to that. It's also really nice, like a well-done anthology is really a thing of beauty. Like this is some deep work nerding, you know, but um, when you're like, wow, every piece of this is like pretty quality and interesting. I'm really, I'm really into unpacking, like at this point, the history that I was raised with about the place that I am from. And so, so yeah, so Lewis and Clark Through Indian Eyes is my recommendation. What are you reading? I am not reading. I'm mostly watching television. Tell me. I like tonight
1: I caught up on the entire uh, all of the bachelorettes I've missed and the bachelorette is
0: crazy. I mean, it's like definitely crazy. I know that this is the first ever black bachelorette, correct?
1: I know. Shame on America. 2017 first ever black bachelorette. And like and clearly they don't know how to deal with it so the Bachelorette Rachel is she has like made it very clear that no matter who she chooses, it's not going to be about race, which like, God bless. That's amazing. But the producers on the other hand are like, we have a black Bachelorette. How do we create black white tension on this show? So it's just all very like the fact that like, this is an ABC show where you really like for, I don't know, like 20 something seasons now. We tell people that you can actually meet the love of your life on a TV show by, like, dating like dating 30 people Thunderdome style. And that's not crazy. But, like, having a person of color on the show, like, that's actually crazy. They don't know how to deal with it. And so it's, like, it's in some instances, it's, like, very gauche and, like, very unsubtle. And then in some other instances, you're like, did he just say that? What just happened? Did he just say, what, what? (laughs) But, you know, I will say that one of the things that I enjoy about watching The Bachelorette more than anything is that all of these, like, like classic stereotypes about how catty women are are completely turned on their head. Here are these men that are competing for the attention of a woman and they engage in the exact same kind of drama. They engage in the exact same amount of cattiness. And if anything, it is, like, even more intense because you're you're always, like, who's going to punch who? It just really goes to show like stereotypes about like women being catty or like bullshit.
0: Well, and also goes to show that like, what if you framed access to power as a thing that could happen through romantic relationships and like set men up in the position that women have been set up for centuries? Oh, wow. Like you're right. The behavior looks the same. That's I mean, the behavior
1: looks like it's crazy. It's like one of the conflicts right now is two of the men like one of them was like, you were my friend and now you've set me up to look bad. And I'm like, can you really be the friend of somebody when you're both trying to date the same girl? Like, I don't know about this. Like, this is, it's so intense and like weird. So anyway, like, that's The Bachelorette. It's like, you know, it's just like, it's, it's all very strange. Um, but if you listen to CYG and you watch The Bachelorette, you should tweet at me who you think is going to win because I like literally cannot tell. Like, I can't tell who is like a top contender.
0: It's so weird. How many episodes away from the finale are we at this point? Uh, we are so far
1: away. There's like something like 12 or maybe 15 dudes left and seven of them look the exact same. So like I can never tell. Oh, but Anne, here's the best thing that happened on tonight's episode. They had a mini uh, like spelling bee. What? <laughs> the the <laughs> hardest word in the spelling bee was polyamorous. None of them can spell. <laughs> Like, none of them, like, literally everybody got eliminated in the first round. And I was like, you know what? This is where my boner goes to die. Like, I don't care how cute you are. If you can't spell physical, like, I like, this is not going to work out for us. Yeah,
0: don't let me hear your body talk. I mean, I, I knew that they weren't allowed phones and things like that because I watch Unreal. But I didn't know they weren't even allowed to, like, read books. They say that they have limited access to
1: media, but one of the guys tonight was talking—he was, like, threatened that this other guy would win the spelling bee because he's like, that guy reads six books a day. <laughs> and I was like, how do you know that? But I think that it's true. They are, like, limited to media, and it's, and it's like, part of it—it's, like, the phones and the internet and newspa- newspapers, little magazines, and so they don't know what's going on in the outside world. But I think that the rest of it is so that you create optimal, like, boredom so that, like, all they do is drink, Because also the way that the show is edited, like whenever they go on dates and stuff, like especially on the group dates or at the end of the night when there's like cocktail hours is you can tell that it's not in chronological order because everybody looks like drunk at different points Uh. and you're like aggressive at different points. And I don't know. It's like the level of drinking also on the batch in Bachelor Nation is like really problematic. They've had to shut down production on Bachelor in Paradise which is where kind of like all of the horny rejects go to like meet each other.
0: You <laughs> shouldn't laugh, but like, wow.
1: I know, but that's like, you know, they're just like, what do we do with all these rejects? There's so many of them and they're so good looking. Oh, let's all throw them into like an intense situation where they're not all competing for the same person. Mm-hmm. But they've had to shut down production on Bachelor in Paradise because of like a sexual abuse allegation. And they're like being so cagey about it. Like basically like we still don't know what happened. But allegedly, a woman on the show was not able to give consent for a sex that happened. And it's like, that's really fucking disturbing. But also, you're like, this is like, one, I'm surprised that it like this is the first time that we're hearing of this. And two, you're like, this show is really evil. And these are the conditions that they set people up for.
0: I mean, I know I can't I couldn't even make it through all of Unreal because that made me feel bad. And that was just a fictionalized commentary on why like those shows are difficult.
1: They're really, really awful. So all of this to say, like, if you don't watch Bachelorette, don't start now. But if this is your sickness, like let's talk about it. And then the other thing that I watch is uh Megan Kelly's like whatever like interview. Oh show my god, that you're the, o- the only
0: person in America who watches that.
1: <laughs> Girl, I heard it got worse ratings than uh, America's funniest videos or whatever, which I'm sure that shows hilarious.
0: It's not. But,
1: but... So here's the problem. Megan Kelly is like I know that she needed to get out of her little Fox News contract because she had really run her course there. But like, what a ballsy move to take a job where you're supposed to come across as a nice person. It's like no amount of acting
0: classes can do that for her. Oh, I mean, I'm a little bit... I didn't watch the whole thing because I was busy doing literally everything else. But honestly, I... I, I'm just more surprised by people who in good faith think that she is doing her job as a journalist and is not just out to increase her own platform by any means necessary. And it's an interesting interesting question, though, you know, like this question of when is covering someone with reprehensible views giving them more power versus when is it exposing what they're doing to people who weren't already aware? Like, I actually think that's a really interesting question. And there are people like Kamau Bell, I think, is a great example who do that whole like engage people whose beliefs are like obnoxious and noxious thing. And they do it like with a real sense of purpose. And I think they do it with some context. That's really important. And then there is- Probably because
1: Kamal Bell is a good person at his core. You know what I'm saying?
0: Right, right. Who seems genuinely interested in bringing to light the fact that like these are people with a following and like those who disagree with them should take heed and work against that. So I don't know. There is something though to me about- when people use the argument that they're kind of doing this in a Kamau Bell style, but actually stylistically, it looks more like I'm going to give you a platform on a major news network. That I I get really angry.
1: Yeah, I mean, so a couple of things. Megyn Kelly's first like big interview was Putin, right? And she totally like shit the bed on that one, where it's like, hi, you have like <laughs> one of the biggest like men dictators in the world, and all she did was like lob him um, soft questions. But at the same time, I was like, listen, I know you work at NBC, but you know who would be great at this? Andrea Mitchell, because she like knows what she's talking about. It's hard to tell. You know, like sometimes when you're like, oh, your boss is setting you up for failure. That's like where I kind of want to sympathize with Megan Kelly in this job. But also it's like clearly an NBC ploy for like, how do we get real America or whatever to like, um, to think that like, this is not just a liberal channel. So the Putin interview was like bad for many reasons, but mostly for like, You can't interview Putin and just, like, throw him softballs. The Alex Jones interview was bad for so many reasons, but especially because it, like, exposed that kind of journalism that she's doing. Do I think that Megyn Kelly is the only reporter who is, like, buttering up subjects in order to, like, cajole them to get them to open up? Absolutely not.
0: Definitely not. Yeah.
1: That's why it's called access journalism. Like, you know, I'm sure she had to do the same thing with the Russians in order to get Putin. But with Alex Jones, it's like, what a terrible place to put your personal reputation in he has reprehensible views that have real life consequences that hurt like many 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 people so he's really happy that the like sandy hook parents like came for nbc so hard because it was ridiculous but i actually watched the interview itself it was like less than 20 minutes it was definitely like edited to make her seem tougher probably than she had been Mm -hmm. and they cut him off a lot it's like the best thing to do with alex jones honestly is to just let him ramble on just let him talk. And then all of his views are exposed in that. So they definitely did a lot of like tightening up of the interview, but it was just for like 17 minutes of footage. I was like, wow, was this really worth like to gamble your entire professional reputation? And then the other thing that annoys me is that clearly they're like, Megyn Kelly's neutral. Like she's not like a, you know, she's not doing Fox news at NBC or whatever, but it's like, here are her guests. Putin, Alex Jones next week she has on the hillbilly elegy guy but the other interview that she had in yesterday's episode was with Erin Andrews who is the um, sports news anchor who talked about her like the stalking case that she went through and it was like really upsetting like she gets really emotional she cries like I got super emotional In the case of Megyn Kelly and I swear it was so pandering like she couldn't do this like human this human interest story like in a way that made sense. But the funniest scene in that entire interview is when they go to the beach in heels. And it's wants to be like the relatable B-roll.
0: Relatable B-roll, the title, the title of our, our joint autobiography. <laughs>
1: it's so insane. And so it's like, I definitely like struggle a lot with like, I know that I am like scrutinizing her more, but at the same time, I'm just like, I'm sorry. There are a lot of people who do this, mm-hmm. who do this for a living. They do it better. NBC also like let go of Tamron Hall, my fave to replace her with Megyn Kelly at the time it was just like whoever made that decision was like oh this is a slam dunk and now it's like really? Creep Oh wow. Oh what? Oh what? He's a creep Yeah Don't care Speaking of more than television, have you seen Wonder Woman? I
0: have seen Wonder Woman. Tell me all your thoughts. First of all, I felt misled in that I was like, you got to market this as a war movie if I'm going to watch a bunch of war stuff, even if it's stylized superhero war stuff. But second complaint, can't keep the Chris's straight. Which Chris is this? It's unclear.
1: Girl, this is the hot Chris. Get it together. Which (laughs) Captain
0: Beefcake am I looking at? It's unclear.
1: (laughs) (laughs) This is the one that cried at the Oscars. It's the one that was in Princess Diaries 2 and like now he's the number one Chris in Hollywood because he like maneuvered it, right?
0: Okay, setting aside the Chris horse race, the first like 20 minutes or so, which is all skinny, mostly white Amazons performing like uh, various flips in the air and like riding horses... It was a pleasure in its own way to watch. It actually, I, it was a pleasure mostly because it made me think of, like, what does my own Amazonian island isolated from men, like, like what does that look like? Because it doesn't look like the Wonder Woman version, but it was like kind of a fun mental exercise. I mean, I kind of feel like Shrug, it's a superhero movie. Number one feeling, though, is that, as you know, my cry trigger is women triumphing against all odds. and so
1: (laughs) that's your number one only cry trigger I know
0: it's true and so you know I found myself do you know that feeling when you're like I know this is sort of edited it can be tv or movies or whatever edited to elicit a very specific response in me like whether it's like a swelling strings moment or anyway so I was getting emotional even when I didn't really feel that emotional at certain parts of this movie because of the whole woman triumphing alone thing Anyway, give me, give me your capsule review. Listen,
1: I got really emotional at this movie because I realized that I had just never seen a movie where, like, women fight in a way that is... Because we watch a lot of action movies in this family, obviously. But, you know, I, like, I just like, couldn't remember the last time that I saw, like, women just be badasses on the screen and it wasn't in the service of, like, being some sexy kind of Bond girl. Like, women warriors. That definitely made me super emotional, I was actually really into the World War I plot because it's like a war that was kind of about nothing. It's like really, you guys destroyed the whole world for like nothing. Also, like you can't make people of color villains anymore. Well, at least like not Asian people or Arab people anymore because like they bankroll all of our movies. I was like, this is genius. You just like can't do this. So I was like, okay, like Germans as bad guys. Like I'm down for this. Um, because it's just like less offensive, but also I thought that it played really well into the actual story of who, um, of who Wonder Woman is. Right. Because my main beef with superhero movies, honestly, is that they're all kind of like repressed teenage boys, you know, like, like no matter how much you like them, they're always carrying this like wound from 14. And sometimes it's like a big deal, you know, like Batman, I see you, your parents died. That's, you know, like that's sad. (laughs) Like I see you. But it's always like this, they always have this like brooding, like, Ugh, whatever, you know, like story that propels them. And then it's also always very cynical, especially in like the, the DC franchise. Like, I feel like all of it is super cynical. And so it's really refreshing to have a like a superhero who was like, no, I have to save everyone because <laughs> there is always a point in the superhero movie where they go, we can't save everyone. And Diana's like, hell no, I'm gonna save everyone because I'm Wonder Woman. And I was like, okay, like... This is ludicrously, like, refreshing, especially in the context of World War I. Where it's like, yes, everybody deserves saving. Gail, I think her name is Gail Simon. She's a comic book writer, and she used to have this website called Women in Refrigerators. She created this website in, in the 90s, maybe, like, early 2000s, where she talks about how most superherons, they're always, like, depowered or raped or cut up and stuck in the refrigerator to really talk about how female superheroes are disproportionately, like, brutalized, And how they're also used in the character arc of the male superheroes. The fact that this was flipped on its head will never go as boldly as to say that uh, Wonder Woman is a feminist movie because it's not. But it was interesting to see like a lot of these tropes like flipped around and what that means. You know, like especially like the scenes in the beginning where like he's the eye candy.
0: Although to that point, and this is one of the most amazing things about the movie, I'm sure you noticed because I did. He. The Chris continually is like, oh, no, wait, let me go first. Or like, no, no, you stay back. And trying to do that totally. kind of protective male thing. And she's like, "Um, actually, I'm part God. And, <laughs> and, and like, and you don't need to do that. Um, anyway, it was like, yeah, too real. Could it have
1: been 45 minutes shorter? Mm, I think so. Um, you know, like it was good to have like an earnest superhero for once, you know. And the fact that she's just like, yeah, like, I was made from clay by a god. <laughs> like, all of that. I actually really enjoyed. That's um, my favorite you know,
0: part. Like, honestly, like, the her origin story. Because you know how when you meet an amazing new woman for the first time and you're like, where did you even come from? Like, her answer to that question <laughs> is so good. <laughs> totally. <laughs>
1: Have you finished Handmaid's
0: Tale? Oh my God, no. I haven't brought myself to finish it. I'm sorry, but like- Okay, we can then, still, wait, are you going to finish it? I am going to finish it. I just like, I need, I need four daylight hours. Like that's the thing. I'm like in, <laughs> I, I don't watch it at night before bed and I don't watch it if I don't have plans with women later. And so it's like been hard for me to find four daytime hours- where i have plans with women afterward i need to schedule it
1: okay i can't wait till you finish and then we'll talk about it because i have many feelings
0: i know i have feelings too i'm sorry i'm like this is where my like tv tardiness is really harming this podcast editorially
1: (laughs) no it's fine now we can pivot from serena joy into ivanka joy what's going on (laughs) what's going on in politics
0: Oh, my God. I mean, I don't know. I've been
1: dying to say Ivanka Joy. So
0: iva- Ivanka meant. Joy is maybe her new name. for Ivanka Joy's dad is what we should have made that bumper sticker say, Like, frankly. <laughs> um, I don't know. Ivanka Joy is out here fighting for her brand slash her life because like things are not looking great. Um, did you hear the clip this week of Jared Kushner speaking? Like his voice for the first time? <laughs>
1: Okay. So here's the problem. I've seen all of the parody clips. I don't know which one actually <laughs> is his voice. And it's on my list to get to it. But every time I click on this is what Jared Kushner's voice sounds like, it's like not. It's
0: like I know that that's fake. So now I'm just like, ah, what, what is real? I mean, it's hard.
1: But Anne, as women in podcasting, should we really be shaming people about what they sound like?
0: Listen, I'm not shaming. I just asked if you heard a video. That's all I said. <laughs> Some people are saying, not me. but people, people, are people are saying. Yeah, I finally read belatedly there was a Caitlin Flanagan long Ivanka essay. I don't know if you read that. Nope. No. It is like a deep think about what Ivanka means and basically about her as the steward of the Trump brand and how she has always kind of staked everything on that slash her father. Nothing will please me more than to watch like the consequences for what that is. There was an amazing anecdote in it about her meeting with Cecile Richards, who we adore on this podcast, who is running things at Planned Parenthood and suggesting to Cecile Richards uh, so why don't you just at, next door to every Planned Parenthood clinic open a separately funded Planned Parenthood clinic that only provides abortions, and then you could keep your federal funding for the other one? Like this is a thing that Ivanka suggested. <sighs> and also, that's actually not how
1: Planned Parenthood works. They're right? They're just a regular doctor, like everybody else, and they submit their receipts for reimbursements. Yes. Just- like, ah, uh, these people. So
0: your uh, is basically what Cecile Richards said to her. What I would have given to have like exactly heard how she responded to that. But it was used as an example of how like even though she is supposedly this ambassador for things such as like, I don't know, women, she really is pretty disconnected from the mechanics of what it means to go to a Planned Parenthood. Like, we all know that Ivanka has never once walked into a pa- Planned Parenthood clinic as a patient or a potential patient for anything. Or worse, that
1: she maybe has, and she's like a hypocrite about it.
0: Yeah, I mean... I- I'm
1: telling you, rich ladies is always taking advantage of the system
0: Yeah. Anyway, I'm just like, there's that going on. I don't know. What are you seeing with in Ivanka land this week?
1: Listen, I like can't keep up with the news. It's like every time I get an alert on my phone. Thank you, Washington Post, New York Times, Apple News and BuzzFeed. Because if you don't say BuzzFeed, our friends at BuzzFeed will get angry. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Just kidding. Um, But it's like I just can't keep up with like what's going on with the investigation, you know. And I'm also like was watching House of Cards. So it was really hard to be like, okay, which one is reality and which one is House of Cards right now? But I feel like there's so much chaos around the investigation that like one day we're going to wake up and people are just going to be in jail. Like that'll be the next news alert. (laughs) It's just like here's who's in jail right now. I feel like I can't read any kind of like opinion news on this stuff. I'm like, I just want the straight up news. I don't need the Monday morning quarterbacks or like anybody who thinks that they're like suddenly like an impeachment expert specialized in emoluments and obstruction of justice. I'm like, I don't care. Yeah, it's like the Robert Mueller investigation. I'm so baffled as to why the president would say that he was under investigation and then send whatever crackpot personal lawyer he has to do all of the sunday shows to say that like he's not it's just so he like continues to be his own worst enemy but more than anything like just like so's chaos everywhere he goes i'm just at a point now where like i feel less panicked and more like okay the system is working it's just not working as fast as i need it to work And, like, this will be weird for, like, a lot of months.
0: I'm glad you feel that way because, frankly, like, speaking of all kinds of things that are happening in the news, like, in the past week, it's always a banner week for men not being convicted for heinous offenses. But, like, I feel like this week was a real banner week for a lack of accountability for men who maybe shot Black men at point-blank range or who maybe were accused of assault by literally dozens of women who have nearly identical stories. There is something about experiencing the news and watching in, frankly, smaller cases than maybe like an investigation into the President of the United States, but like just as big when it comes to issues that affect real human lives and being like, wow, no justice in this area and or that area, and then trying to have some faith, like you said, that this is... It's going to be okay. It's just taking a long time. Like, I, it's very hard for me to trust the process right now.
1: I mean, I only trust the process when it comes to the president. When it comes to everything else, like, we're definitely like, ah, it's awful. Like, watching the Cosby verdict was, if I'm perfectly honest, like, I wasn't surprised at all. I wasn't surprised. I was just really disappointed. And I've always had a cynical view on how, like, people treat women. And that just reinforced that for me, where I was like, of course, we live in a trash town surrounded by trash people and this trash jury wouldn't take Bill Cosby at his own word that he drugs women to rape them.
0: Yeah, I mean, there there's that. I mean, there's also, even in my like not really being that attuned to the news phase, I was watching a lot of network television with my grandma and there was some like AFI tribute to Diane Keaton on, which like sounds like should be kind of in the center of our Venn diagram. But like then like the cap of like the night of tribute is like Woody Allen and everyone is standing and applauding. And then it's like, are you really that surprised when the Cosby verdict comes down the next day? Like, are you really? I don't know. Like it's very- or or the
1: cop who shot Philando Castile in cold blood in front of his- partner and her daughter and a camera we all <laughs> and we all saw it on Facebook live and it's nobody's fault that he died like this is the America that we live in it's like bad things happen to women and bad things happen to black people and bad things happen to people of color and it's never anybody's fault
0: I mean, I hear what you're saying and I am, it actually very much heartens me to hear that you have faith when it comes to some accountability for the president of the United States, because I almost feel like- Only the, because
1: the deep state is going to get him, And Hashtag conspiracy theory. Oh my God. We're not, <laughs> we're not
0: returning to like Megyn Kelly and Alex Jones. That's like not um, what's happening right now.
1: <laughs> I have put on my tinfoil hat and I'm back. Um, you know, but I don't know. It's like, this made me really angry, like this week of news, especially- contrasted to the shooting that happened at that congressional uh, baseball game practice right nobody should be at a baseball practice and get shot at that is outrageous that we live in a country where that's possible I cannot tell you how angry just like deeply angry and sad I am for the families of those people who are shot and none of them should be in the hospital and have to deal with that but it is also like insanely frustrating to hear our Congress people say that they are scared now. I was like, oh, you didn't realize that, like, guns were a problem when 26 children at Sandy Hook died? Like, that didn't get your attention? Or when, like, Black people are out here getting gunned down,
0: like, in broad daylight by cops? Like, when toddlers are shooting themselves, like, left and right?
1: Yeah. Toddlers, like, shooting their moms in cars, which happens at a rate that is actually, like, alarming in this country. None of that was a problem but like now that your colleagues have gotten shot at the game now wow like welcome to the world that we live in and it was so frustrating to watch the news that day and like congress people from like all across the 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 aisle like democrats republicans and all of the conversation was focusing on how they need more security for congress people now it was like oh so you guys are just going to get bodyguards and the rest of us have to like keep living in a world where like we might get shot. The same day of that congressional shooting, literally hours later, three blocks from my house, there was a shooting at the Barclays Center. You know, like, that's crazy. I was like, well, like, too bad we didn't have a Congress member here because now we would have better security. I Like, we have terrible leaders. Like, that, ma- it made me so, I was just seeing red and I was so rage, like, angry That I couldn't believe that, like, they're just gonna build, like, a basically, like, a security force for themselves. And it's like the same thing is playing out in healthcare. Congress people always get good healthcare, and then the rest of us get screwed. I'm like, I'm sorry. But if you're gonna give us, like, bad new healthcare that Donald Trump is pushing, you should be subjected to that exact same form of health care.
0: Or you should at least have to defend it to your constituents. I mean, evil turtle Mitch McConnell, who is like, at the moment we're recording this, refusing to release even the text of the bill to not just like his colleagues in Congress, but to people like the American Cancer Society or like places that are not partisan, not politicized in any way, who are just like, we represent the interests of people who might, be sick in the future honestly that i don't know i hope by the time that this airs like something has happened with that because we were just talking about this like democrats are staging some mostly like for press attention protests um because everyone should be talking about the fact that mcconnell is trying to and republicans are like trying he's to he's trying this. to and
1: he most likely will succeed because literally we're represented by spineless people the amount of disconnect between like the actual fear that people feel and like everything that they think like constituents think that they're doing, calling their Congress members, like marching and protesting. And every time I turn on the TV and these like Congress people are like, they're so chill about everything. And like, it's not the end of their world because like they're not going to be affected by it. And like, who cares because special interest like gives them money or whatever. Like they should all be ashamed of themselves. This bill, it's going to affect everybody. It's like, yes, like there are people who are sick. And first of all, like the fact that we live in a country where people think that like being a sickness is a weakness or that they think that like they will never be. It's like, what if what happens if a bus hits you tomorrow? You have to use the same emergency services as everybody else. Having diabetes doesn't make you a bad person. Being hit by a bus doesn't make you a bad person. Also, like sickness happens. It happens to people all the time what kind of world do we live in that we don't want to take care of each other for for that reason? Like, that's nuts. But the fact that, like, our Congress people, like, don't think that, like, the House is on fire and they are not, like, doing more... Like, this bill is going to pass in the middle of the night and, like, affect everybody, whether you have insurance from work already, whether you're somebody who's, like, planning on being pregnant one day or you're pregnant right now, or you're somebody who has a pre-existing condition... Or, God forbid, you get sick also later in life. Like, this has, like, consequences that are so, 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 so important. And we're letting Republicans get away with just, like, sneaking it in in the middle of the night.
0: Right, which is, you know, the th- sometimes I think about this, like, I, I forget that they're not operating like actual human beings. Because I'm like, I get confused, right? I'm like, wow all of us are people who have been sick before or who love someone who has a chronic illness. You know, anything that is under serious, serious threat by what they're doing right now. And I think like, okay, I know they're rich. I know they're out of touch, but like they they have to know someone who has been sick before. And then I just have to remind myself that this is, they're fighting this as like a tax battle. They're basically like, we want to give tax cuts to really rich people and this is how we get there that's what they're focused on. It's it actually never once is it like a question of how do people who are not 100% perfectly healthy in America live their lives? It's just like, how do we give money to the people who give us money? Like that is like the exclusive calculation.
1: I know, and it's so disgusting. It's like, I was looking at some of these like Congress people, like how much money they get from the gun lobby. And they're not like insane amounts of money. It's like $20,000 here, $30,000 here. Same thing with, like, insurance people. And I'm like, wow, this is literally what it costs to, like, buy you. You are so cheap that you would sell out, like, the entire country so that you can have job security in this shitty job that you're doing.
0: But the other weird thing is, like, I I was, like, listening to these people with various corners of, like you know, the healthcare lobby being interviewed on like NPR earlier today. And they were all talking about how they've been shot out of the process as well, because to let them into the process would be to allow more information about it to become public, which would make constituents angry, which is the last thing they want. And so to me, that just says, call the Senate switchboard (laughs) 202-804-8210. Call the Senate switchboard, uh, pause this podcast and do it. 202-804-8210 202-804-8210 and basically be like, do not pass this bill. There needs to be an open debate because if you won't even let your lobbyists talk to you, like how, like how bad does this have to be?
1: It's so crazy. And then I think about all of the ways that they talked about Obama when the ACA passed. Like seeing grown people be hypocrites, like nothing makes me want to burn the whole house down more than that. Like it's just like drives me nuts. But like all of the conversations about like how Obama snuck this bill in and he like didn't consult them and blah, blah, blah. When literally for 18 months, all we talked about was the ACA and we went through everything. And even that was a compromise for like the best healthcare that we could get at the time.
0: Right. And they and all voted so against it, it anyway. They were all consulted yeah. and voted against it anyway. So, yeah,
1: they all voted for it anyway. And I'm just like, you know what? Like they're like, it's so shitty. It's so, so shitty to like be somebody who like you are just trying to make your way in the world And there are like 400, 500 people in D.C. who get to dictate how you live your life. And they're all assholes.
0: Yeah. So.
1: I don't know. Like if you are a Democrat and you live in a blue state, even a state that is like really chill, you should call your congressman and tell them to step it up. Because it's insane. Like this is it's so insane to see all of them just be like, "Mm," like, you know like I know that like they're all coworkers and they're trying to be like civil or whatever but like people are literally going to die like what is important to you like comedy or like like people like dying like come on
0: yeah I know how do you answer I mean maybe they never have to answer to people but I'm even like people in your own family like how do you go to like A family reunion this summer and run into a family member who's had cancer when you know how you voted on this like you know there is a part of me that remains genuinely baffled and like I want to hang on to that because it like shows like I'm not 100% cynical but like I do picture like Mitch McConnell at the family barbecue with a person who has a chronic illness and like I'm I, I just don't understand how he he gets to square that circle.
1: Or even the fact that like pregnancy is a pre-existing condition and all of these men are like, mm, maybe we shouldn't pay for like basic health care for women because they get pregnant. Is like, you know, and like all of those men, like a lot of those men have daughters. A lot of them have wives. And the fact that they can think that it's like, you can't tell me that like they don't hate women or that they don't hate people of color. I'm like, it is lit- it is that simple. And that's how I feel about like all these people who are still like, we need to understand these Trump voters and we need to understand where they come from. I don't need to understand them. I know exactly who they are and they're trash people. Like these are the decisions that we're faced with now. I mean, it's like like elections have like real consequences. Like I don't actually care that people are racist or not in their hearts of hearts or that they're misogynist or not in their hearts of hearts. I'm like, that's your own problem. But I care when it has policy outcomes. And this is the result of like misogynist and racist policies.
0: If I ruled the world, another—if I were writing my Wonder Woman utopia origin story, like it would include <laughs> making everyone have it have to stand up like before the world and defend the policies we've enacted. I'm like, has anyone? I have I have had the distinctly unpleasant experience, and I'm sure you've had this experience too of like having to explain to a European who's only ever lived under a single payer kind of health system, what happens if you are a poor person who gets sick in America. It is, it is a super shameful experience. And I'm just like, how do these legislators who actually have a direct ability to influence that, like, what if you had to explain that? What if you had to just say, well, the state is basically cool with just letting them die, like to yeah, someone- Yeah, but you know yeah. why
1: the, the state is cool with letting them die? Because like regular Americans are okay with letting them die it's like these are the people that we elect to represent us and they do what we allow them to do like there are a lot of people in this country who really think that like if you are sick it's because god hates you and like that was like god's plan for your life and that's why we have shitty health care and a lot of those people like make it to congress somehow like oh this like this stuff is real you know and it's like It like, and that's like, that's the thing that we don't talk about. Like, people all here always talk about welfare like it's a bad thing. And it's like, sure, when like welfare essentially built the white middle class, everybody was okay with it. And the minute those benefits became available to brown people, they became a problem. But, like, there is something deeply shameful about living somewhere where we don't believe that healthcare is a right for everyone, that housing is a right for everyone, that education is a right for everyone, clean water is a right for everyone. That's insane. Right. Or, or but, this is, but this is where we live.
0: Right. Like, the reverse being that, like, if you don't have those things, it's through personal failure as opposed to systemic oppression or like genetic poor luck or like anything that can contribute to yeah,
1: yeah or the fact that there is literally like an entire system that is rigged to keeping like rich people richer and making sure that nobody else gets within like an earshot of that like come on
0: Right and that's what i mean i mean like viewing this as a an issue a financial issue as opposed to sort of like a fundamental moral issue is like is is i i i I I can't even relate to it. Like, I can't even, like, fathom. I know. Fathom. I'm
1: so angry. I just don't know how more people are not angry. Or maybe they are. But I just don't... Like, I'm so... Like, yeah, it's like, sure, the cycles of grief. Like, right now I'm stuck in anger. But it's really... I, like, it makes me really ashamed to be part of a society that, like, does not believe in, like, helping everybody. Uh... <laughs> Ugh, I know, I know, I know. People are trash. What are you gonna do? Um. Oh my god. Okay, I'm gonna hang up because the half, the other half of this bobka's is not gonna eat itself.
0: Bob could duke it up.
1: <laughs> A Bob could duke. I'm so like, I'm done with you. I'm done
0: with myself. You're f- <laughs> it's fine. You're fired. <laughs>
1: You can find us many places on the internet on our website, callyourgirlfriend.com. Download it anywhere you listen to your favorite podcast or on Apple Podcasts, where we would love it if you left us a review. You can tweet at us at callyrgf or email us callyrgf at gmail.com. You can also find us on Facebook, look that up yourself, or on Instagram at callyrgf. You can even leave us a short and sweet voicemail at 714-681-2943. That's 714-681-CYGF. Our theme song is by Robin. All other music you heard today was composed by Carolyn Pennypacker-Riggs and this podcast is produced by Gina Delbeck.
0: I'll see you on the internet. (laughs) See you on
1: the internet (laughs) and see you at our live shows.